Hi, good morning Forest View. Thanks so much for joining us. This morning we're gonna be continuing with our Life Together series on the book of Philippians. But first I wanna invite you to join me in prayer. Uh, let, let's pray together. There's a lot going on in our world. There's a lot going on in our community. And so I think it's important for us to take this time to pray. And uh, one thing I would encourage you to do is to, uh, in this time, change your posture in some way. Maybe it means for you standing up uh, as, as we pray together. Maybe you want to kneel down uh, or, or maybe just simply sit where you are, but just place your hands out palms open just to receive from God. And throughout this prayer, I'd invite you to join me in the refrain, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Or we'll randomly, intermittently throughout the prayer, let's say that together as we pray. Um, and so, yeah, let me lead us and then we'll dive into our passage this morning. Gracious and loving God, just as in the book of Genesis, it talks about you hovering over the waters of the deep, of you speaking into chaos and bringing about order and life. Heavenly Father, we cry out to you in the midst of a broken, wounded world, a world that is often so far away from your original heart and intent, a world that sometimes is so hard to know what you saw in it when you pronounced it good. And yet we thank you that just as your spirit hovered over those chaotic waters, that you are here present with us, to us, and in us. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you most of all for the way that you have shown up in Jesus, for his life, for his death, for his resurrection, for the new life that comes through his spirit. And we pray that just as you chose to take our most defiant act towards you, the cross, the, 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 the single point of most evil and death, all of it culminating in one point, Lord, and you used that for goodness and healing and ultimately for the salvation of us all. And so, Lord, together we say, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Heavenly Father, specifically we pray for Beirut and Lebanon. Uh, we think of this terrible explosion that has happened for the many people who have lost their lives, for, for the people who are, are incredibly wounded, uh, for the incredible uh, wound that this is just on them as a country. Uh, we pray for your healing. We know that they are in an economic dire circumstances as it was, and now in the midst of all of this, there is a, a deep sense of hopeless, hopelessness and fear. Heavenly Father, would you speak into the chaos and would you bring your life there? We pray for those who are grieving, uh, for, for those who are, are mourning the loss of friends, family members, of children, of parents. Uh, Lord God, we pray uh, for Christians there that they would reflect your light even into this dark time that they are going through as a country. And would you help us as the church universally to, to respond to this need with compassion and generosity. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, we continue to bring to you 
uh, the, 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 the issue of racism within our country and within our world. Uh, we continue to, to mourn and lament that, that, that such Black Lives Matters protests need to happen at all. Uh, we, we continue to lament and repent of our involvement in systemic racism towards the black community, towards the indigenous community. We pray, Lord, for healing. We pray for reconciliation. Lord, we pray that you would work in this painful, difficult thing and that, Lord, you would bring light and justice. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, we bring you to you our needs within our community. We think of those who are hurting and aching, those who are navigating fears, those who are walking through seasons of heartbreak and loneliness and whatever else may be plaguing them. Lord, we lift them up to you. Uh, specifically, today we pray for the Yemen's family. We pray for Brent as he continue, and his family as they continue to mourn the loss of his brother. Um, Lord, we pray for your healing and your, pres your comfort and peace to be with them even as they mourn. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is so much in the midst of this brokenness that we have to celebrate. We thank you for the birthdays, the arrivals of Daniel and Ezekiel in the last couple weeks. We celebrate the new life that is happening within this community, the physical new life, these babies that are being born. And Lord, we lift up both of those boys to you. And, uh, and uh, just as it, as it proclaims in, in the Gospels, uh, that as Jesus grew, uh, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with others, we pray that over these two boys. And, and even more so, Lord, would you help us as a community to be a place where they would grow, they would learn the way of Jesus, that they would have it modeled for them, that it, we, they, we, we as a community would inspire them and instruct them. And we pray that they would grow up to be men of faith. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Finally, Lord God, as we look out into our world, uh, Lord, I pray that you would be continuing to soften our hearts, that we would be more passionate for you, that we would desire you and your kingdom more and more in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, wherever we find ourselves where our hearts have grown calloused or indifferent, Lord, would you breathe zeal and excitement and joy and a freshness. Uh, Lord, we realize this is a big ask, and yet we know that you are a God who can change and transform our lives and a God who is changing and transforming our world. So it was with joy and with confidence we proclaim, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Well, this morning we are looking at Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, and we're going to work our way all the way to verse 14. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up. Uh, let, let me just dive into the text, and then we'll dive into some context, and we'll start to, start to uh, look at what the Apostle Paul is writing to this Philippian community, and by extension, what it means for us today, starting in verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence 
in the flesh. Now, important thing to be aware of, again, I know some of you will know this, some of you this might be new to you, but, but at this particular time, this community that Paul is writing to is a community of Gentiles. That means that they are brand new to this whole Christianity, God of Israel thing. Now, for us, many of us, we've, we've, who have, uh, even if we didn't grow up in Christian households, we know that Christianity has been around for a long time, and so there's all these traditions and this thing that has been passed on, and, and so there's a whole kind of like network of understanding and resources. But for these first Christians, none of them grew up in what we would call Christian families or Christian homes. This is all new to them. I mean, if they were to get up and share their testimonies, talk about how they came to faith, none of them would start off with the phrase, I grew up in a Christian home. All of them, this was new to them. And you can imagine how insecure that would make them feel because they didn't grow up in a family. They didn't grow up with resources, people around them telling them about who God truly is and, and, who this, uh, and, and what his, uh, his heart is for the world and the stories of God's working, redemptive work throughout history through his people Israel and in his people Israel. And so you can imagine this sense of like, oh, have we got it all Right. In fact, you can, you can almost imagine it being like what the, the, uh, if you've ever had to give a presentation on something where you're just going like, I'm really new to this material. I'm not totally familiar with it. I'm not 100% comfortable with it. I'm really passionate about it. I'm really excited about it, but it's new to me and I feel a little bit out of my element. And, and, and suddenly if anyone just brings any kind of uh, comment, I, I would take that with a huge amount of weight and listen to it in a really heavy sort of way. And at this time, there is another group of what we'll call Jewish Christians. And essentially, the message that they are telling all of these Gentile Christians is that this whole Jesus thing that you've heard about and what he has done and the cross and the resurrection and receiving and experiencing his spirit, the same spirit that drove him throughout his ministry that's at work in your lives, those are great things. But what you really have to do is you need to go and you need to begin to adhere to all of the Jewish Laws. Essentially, you need to become just like a Jewish person. And you can imagine all the different things that go with that. I mean, this, this is all brand new stuff to many of them about what you are supposed to eat or not eat or how, what different holidays or days you're supposed to observe. Uh, the Sabbath day, how does that work? Uh, and then especially a, a really hot button issue within the Gentile communities would have been the issue of circumcision, which was essentially this outward sign for the men um, of their commitment and of their family's commitment to the way of Israel. And so you have this group of people going, wait, what? I'm supposed to do this. And so there was these Jewish Christians who would go around basically saying, yes, we're glad you've heard about that, but now you need to make sure you do this and this and this on top of that. Okay, you, you haven't really done the whole thing yet. The, the other stuff is good, it's nice, but, but that's not really the big part of what's really going on here. You are missing something, you're incomplete, you don't have it all. And the thing is, is that Paul, he, he speaks to this Gentile community and he says, no, no, wait a minute. You need to beware of these voices, these people who are coming and telling you this. In fact, the language he uses is, is really entertaining in the context of it because he, he's essentially turning some of the things that those people, the, the, the Jewish Christians would have boasted about or, or the derogatory terms that they would have used to describe the Gentiles, twisting those and actually turning it back on them. So for example, he says like, watch out for those dogs. Now, for us, we hear the word dog and usually we would think of it being like, well, dogs are awesome and cute and we love dogs. But 
in the ancient world, it was typically a derogatory term that was used by Jewish people to talk about those outside of the nation of Israel, a Gentile people. Uh, and, and you can kind of see where this would work, right? Because in the ancient world, dogs are not, like, you don't have domesticated dogs. People don't have pet dogs. All the dogs are wild, they're straight, they're wandering around doing their own thing. And that's very much how they would have viewed Gentiles, at least when it comes to their relationship with the one true God. And so Paul says, actually, no, no, wait a minute. They're not calling you dogs, but the reality is actually they are the dogs. And then he refers to them as evildoers. And then he talks about them being mutilators of the flesh, which is this play on the word of circumcision. And so he's just saying like, these guys, they, they're gonna come at you and they're gonna say, you need to do this and this and this, but realize that they actually are wrong. And he says this, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. He says, these voices, they're going to come. They're full of confidence. You are not enough. You need to start doing this. You need to achieve this level in your faith walk. But, but he speaks into this community. And he says, no, no, wait a minute. Don't put your confidence in that. Instead, put your confidence in Christ. Because this isn't about what you've done. This isn't about you achieving a certain level. This is about what Christ has done. And as you commit your life in faith to him, I mean, that's it. That's everything. I mean, what can you add to that? But Paul then goes on because Paul has this amazing resume, this incredible background, and he shares it with them. He says this, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. He says, these people, these voices that are going to come to you and tell you, you are not enough. He needs to, he says, realize this. Hey, listen, I know where they're coming from. He says this, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Essentially, he's like, I was the best of the best. I was the most devoted. He says this, in regard to the law of Pharisees. So essentially, he'd achieved this incredible level of not only academic knowledge, but moral behavior. He just achieved this high level of that. And then he writes this, as for zeal, persecuting the church. I was so passionate about serving God and about being fully committed to him. I was out there trying to shut down this whole Jesus movement. I, I was ready to kill people over this. And he just says, as for the righteousness based on the law, faultless. He says, if, if I was the old me was to stack up against these guys, he says, I would dwarf them. I, I, I just have a way more impressive resume than all of them. But here's the interesting thing that Paul says in verse seven. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost, I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And so Paul, he looks at all of his accomplishments like, and he, he lists them all off. He's like, you know what? This, I was the kind of guy that other moms would look at their sons and go, why can't you be more like Paul? Why can't you be more like him? He says, like, I had the amazing resume. If you were looking at like the ledger of like pros, cons, gains, losses, like I was all gains. I just, I looked great. 
And even in my own mind, I thought I was great. But then he says, then I met Christ. Then, then I had this radical experience with him. He turned my life upside down. I discovered who he truly was. And I realized that actually all that stuff that I thought was in the gain column that, that set me apart, that made me better than everyone else, that, that was setting me on the right path, I actually realized that those things were all really a loss. Or I now consider them a loss. I mean, it's fascinating to think about this. How often do we put so much energy and effort into something and, and then we work so hard on it, suddenly we put in all this energy and effort to, to defend it, to, to sustain it, to be like, oh, this is this really matters. I think of maybe maybe it was a degree in something and you, you worked so hard on it and now years have passed and yet you still like have to elevate it and, and puff it up and be like, look how great this is. And the reality is, is that while most people don't really care or they're not that impressed, but for you, it's like, well, no, but I put all of this work, I invested all of this time and energy into it. It has to be worthwhile. It has to be valuable. But Paul looks at all of the things that he's invested and given himself to, and he's just like, ah, dismisses it. He says, because what I've discovered in Jesus is just so much better. In fact, I actually look at everything else and he uses this, it, the NIV translates, I consider it garbage that I may gain Christ. Now the word that he uses for garbage is an interesting word, actually a better word for it would be dung or excrement. I mean, he's just like, this is waste. I mean, this is something that I would flush knowing that what I have found or what I gain in Christ is just so much better. Let me start at verse eight again. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So, so essentially going, not because of all of my achievements, how great I am, uh, being raised in the right family, going to getting the right kind of education, excelling in all of these different fields. And he says, the righteousness that comes from God, or sorry, let me back it up, verse nine, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So he says, there's two ways that I was living, or there was another way I was living. It was entrusting into my abilities, my achievements, all that I could do and get right. But then he says, no, no, but then I found a better way, which is just entrusting, turning my life over to Jesus. And instead of seeing myself in all the ways I, I need to measure up or I don't measure up, Instead of feeling insecure about like, oh, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Have I learned all the right things? Have I got my theology perfect? Paul, Paul speaks a totally different word and he says, no, 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 this is about what Christ has done. And so I place my trust in him. And then he says this in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul uses this word know as a Greek word epigenosis. It's this experiential, intimate kind of love. This is, this is the or, uh, knowledge. It is the kind of knowledge that can only come, that you can only experience as you walk 
with a person as you live in intimate connection, relationship with that person. This is not about knowing facts about someone. This is not about knowing all of the information and having all that information right. This is about the kind that you get like as you've, you've journeyed together, as you've gone through tough stuff together. And then Paul says this interesting thing. He, he talks about participating in Christ's sufferings and becoming like him in his death. Now, that's a weird thing to say. I mean, most of us, we would talk about, hey, well, I want to follow Jesus. And, and for us, it's often about different benefits that come from that. But Paul, he actually talks about how he, he wants to have this intimate connection and this realization that even in the midst of sufferings, in the challenges that he is walking through, he wants to become like Jesus. And so that means he needs to go through the whole experience of Jesus, not just like the good parts, not just, hey, I want to be, hey, I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to be with God forever. But, but, but for him, it's like, no, no, I want to know, I have a deeper understanding of the love that God has expressed to us through Jesus Christ. I want to know that. And that's something that you can only truly know and encounter as you begin to walk through life and as you begin to walk through suffering and you begin to have a deeper understanding of the love that drove and motivated Jesus even to the point of death on a cross. I mean, this idea of participating in life with Christ and specifically this experience of dying is something that's so key to Jesus's ministry and throughout Paul's writings. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul writes this, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. And then he says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, for Paul, he's saying, no, no, I... I lived this one life and it was all about me. It was focused on me. It was about me achieving things. It was about me arriving to a point uh, and being looked at a certain way by other people. It was about me feeling a certain kind of pride and confidence. But he says, I've died to that way of thinking. Uh, and I've died to even my own, that pursuit about looking good in the eyes of other people people, of, of my own status, of my own security, of my own comfort. I've died to that. I've given up on that life. Uh, some ways that we might even talk about it is that this idea of, that he's, he's already like gone through the worst thing you can go through in your life and now everything else he is walking through, uh, like he's already experienced death and now the, the, everything he's looking at is just like this life that I'm living right now is actually entirely for God. It's meant to be tuning in, to be joining in with that same sacrificial, self-giving love that Jesus, Jesus gave witness to throughout his entire life that ultimately culminated in the cross. I think for some of us, we often think about the cross as this sort of isolated incident, but, but, but for Paul and for Jesus, I mean, the cross wasn't just one-off thing like, oh, now I'm going to do the cross thing today, but rather was the building up of, of his life of constantly living in sacrificial love to others as he poured out his life for others as instead of pursuing his own interests, cared for others through healing, through offering of forgiveness, through spending time with them, through, through saying, you know, wait, this is who God 
really is. And this is what his love looks like for you, no matter how lost, how broken, how far away from him you might be. And so for Paul, he's saying, I, I've died to that old way of living. I'm not gonna be about myself anymore, but pursuing my own comfort, my own, my own security, my, my, my own prestige, my own reputation instead. My life is entirely about Christ and about making his story known and about making his sacrificial love known through my life as I die to self and live for God and live for others. Dying is hard. Dying to self is really hard. I mean, it just naturally everything about us, the ego or the inflated view of the self or whatever it is you want to call it, like we, we, it's so easy to let that control us and guide us and lead us. It is so simple to look at other people and to simply see them for how they can benefit you, how they can make you feel better about yourself, how they can help you get ahead I remember in high school, uh, there, was a, there was a guy and he was a part of a different social group than I was and uh, the kind of like the, the popular uh, group of guys. And I remember he would often, he ran for student council every year. He was the school president. And you always knew when elections were coming up, it was like student elections were coming up because he would go and suddenly he would come up and start talking to you. <laughs> He'd come and be like, hey, how you doing? Hey, what's going on? And you could just, there's just this sense of like, oh, you could just smell it, you know, where it's like, ah, oh, this is so disingenuous. It's like, hey, listen, I'm going to vote for you or I'm not going to vote for you, but you do not have to come up and like act like we're friends right now. I mean, hey, if you want to be a friend with me, I would love to be friends with you. But uh, if you're just going to, if it's going to like, the election's going to come and it's just going to go back to the way it was for the next 11 months of the year. I mean, how many of us, we, there's this selfishness within us about how can we use other people to make ourselves feel better about ourselves? I mean, sometimes it's about using them to get ahead, but sometimes it's about inflating our own view of ourselves. Maybe it flows out of insecurity that we have. And so we're just, hey, I need this person in my life because they make me feel better about myself, whether it's because of their encouragement or you're just like, man, I feel like a mess and they're even more of a mess. So I need them in my life to just make me feel like, well, at least I'm not them. Uh, there are all these different ways that we can use people, but all of them are these ways of living that, that ultimately puts confidence in ourselves or it puts a focus on ourselves and the idea of dying to ourselves and living to Christ, to, to, to joining in that life is just saying, hey God, this is my life, take it, it's yours. Um, and the other thing that's kind of crazy about all this is that sometimes we can do really good things, but it can still flow out of that place of insecurity. Uh, and uh, I remember having a conversation with a guy who was involved in a, uh, an evangelism group on a university campus in, in Waterloo. And uh, he would go around and he just like would like go up to people and start conversations about Jesus. And I really admired him. It was really amazing um, some of the things that he would do. And he would tell these amazing stories about leading people to Christ, like strangers he had just met and going up and striking up a conversation and, and, and essentially proclaiming the good news of Jesus to them and seeing them commit their lives in faith to Jesus. But I remember he was kind of having this season, a challenging season in his life, and he basically started to realize that he was doing all of this, but it was flowing out of this insecurity in his own life 
of just feeling like, well, I need to be valuable. I need to be seen as worthwhile. I need, uh, I need people to see me as someone who's got it all together, who can argue all this. Uh, and for him, part of it was he was walking through his own doubts. And so the more he could convince other people, the more he felt secure in his own beliefs. And he wasn't motivated by the self-giving love of Christ. Rather, he, he was acting out of, he was living out of this deep feeling of inadequacy in his own life. And Paul speaks to you and me and to that young man and he says, hey, listen, it's not about the flesh. It's not about your achievements. It's about what Christ has done. And so you get to die to that old way of living and experience the new life that is here. Paul actually goes on, he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And Paul uses this term straining toward. It's almost this idea of like just looking in a totally other direction. It's like that awkward twisting of your neck, like just being intentional about going, I can look back on this old life, but I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to turn my direction. I'm going to focus on what lies ahead in the new life that God wants to do in me. Because the amazing thing is, is that resurrection life is not just something that happens on the other side of our physical death, but it's something that we begin to experience, begin, begin to get a taste of right now as we give up on that old life and we pursue Christ with everything we've got. I mean, there is something amazing about people who have just kind of, uh, like they're no longer driven by what other people think. I mean, and some of them, they're just like, that's just going old and senile. But, but, but for some of them, it's, it's, it's just a genuine, like a deep security and confidence and just rooted in God's love in their life. And so for them, it's not about, hey, when they go and have a conversation with someone, it's not about, hey, uh, what can I get from them? Or how can I elevate my view, the, how I view myself in, them, in front of them? Uh, but for them, it just, they can just be this conduit for God's love and generosity, and it's just not about, it doesn't flow out of anything but self-giving love. Recently, my wife and I, we watched um, the, the uh, Tom Hanks movie about Mr. Rogers. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Mr. Rogers was a famous uh, television show, children's television show host, and uh, just this incredible life of just loving and caring for people. And throughout the movie, uh, there's just this amazing confidence that he has. I mean, he, he seems so aloof and out of touch with everyone. In fact, other characters in the movie, they're so cynical and jaded, and yet here comes this guy, Mr. Rogers, who just, I just want you to experience love through my life. I just wanna be a blessing to you with the words that I say, with the time that I give you, the focus, the energy that I give you. It is not about me or trying to fill up some empty hole in my life, but rather is about just being an expression of love to others. It's not about how they will look at me. It's about what will they see, that they might see Christ's love through me. Jesus, in his ministry in John 12, he, he begins to talk about the cross. 
And he talks about it in this way. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so Jesus is saying, hey, there, there's this way of life where you can have this seed, the, the kind of the shell around the seed, and you can live in this way that you want to just protect that seed. Uh, and I think of the seed being like ourselves, right? It's about looking good. It's about people perceiving us a certain way. It's about a, a certain level of success and comfort in our own lives. But, but the amazing thing about the way of Jesus and the work of Jesus is that in dying, in giving his life away, that's where life breaks into the world. I mean, as we give our life away, life away in, in, in faithfulness to Jesus and in sacrificial love to others, I mean, it's amazing to see all of this other life that begins to grow out of it. I want to conclude with this story about two desert fathers. It's sort of a famous story in the early church. There's two desert fathers. Um, they're, they're out often like the wilderness. And uh, the, the younger one comes to the older one and he says, Father, it's like, I'm doing everything right, right? I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm doing my meditation, I'm doing everything right. But he says, you know, what else do I still need to do? Like, what, what else is still missing? And the, the old elder says to him, he says, apparently he, he stands up and his hands glow like lamps. And he says, why not become all flame? And the idea in this is saying, yeah, you're doing everything right, but, but have you really died? Have you really given your life over? Have you allowed Jesus' love to just come and consume your life and to live entirely for him. Because when you do that, there is this whole other, better life on the other side. There's this resurrection life. And ultimately, in the process of doing that, which sometimes is hard and is awkward and puts us in uncomfortable conversations and situations and brings us places that we may not choose for ourselves, in the midst of that, Paul is able to look back on his life and he says, it's all rubbish. It's all garbage. It's all refuge. And for him, he just, he looks at what he has gained and he says, it's just so much better. So may you, in your life, as, as you walk through day to day, as, it, as, as you constantly are faced with the insecurities or maybe the, the prideful confidence in your life, the idea that I need to achieve this and reach this level and it's all about how the resume works and how my status looks in the eyes of other people. And instead, to die, choose to die to that, that you may live to the new life in Jesus. That, that you would walk with him and be an expression, a conduit of his self-giving, sacrificial love in the world. And that in the midst of your dying, that you would become all flame. 